Welcome to Day 176 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with Matt Kresge, David Keefe, and Katie Kresge as we continue um, the drama of Scripture. We come to the pinnacle of Israel's grandeur in uh, the reign of Solomon. Uh, first couple of chapters you know, in First King describe the intrigue by which Solomon has taken the throne. Uh, this week we will you know, talk about the throne, we'll talk about the building of the temple, the building of his palace, and and also see the descent of Solomon's greatness as he compromises uh, the very thing that had uh, initially made him great, his devotion to the Lord and his willingness to be obedient to him. So we pick up in First Kings chapter 3. Uh, before we read, as we always do, uh, we understand what a treasure we have in God's Word. And through both the highs and the lows, we, we have a reflection of God's heart and his character, his faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness, and, of course, a portrait of ourselves that helps us realize how desperately we need him. So we come to him humbly, uh, receive from him to be built up in him. And so before we start, Katie, you mind lifting us up in prayer? Father, thank you for this, um, this moment in time that you've given us to um, read your word, to engage with it, to meditate on it. Lord, would it... Uh, be so much more than just words on a page to us today, but that it would be us um, encountering you. Um, Lord, we ask, like Solomon did, um, for wisdom. And you tell us in your word that when we ask uh, for wisdom, that you provide it to us. So give us wisdom as we um, as we open your word together as your people. Would you, um, Holy Spirit, would you transform our hearts uh, more and more into the likeness of Jesus, um, so that in a broken world, um, we can shine like stars in the universe. So you are good and you're faithful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Kings chapter 3, uh, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. People, however, were still sacrificing in high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne to this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant here is among the people that you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you asked for this and not for long life or for wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administrating justice, administering justice, I will do whatever you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. 
He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all of his court. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before them. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, the woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, Cut the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Do not kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave this ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So you have the story of Solomon's prayer, and you also have an example of a, of a righteous or a just uh, decree. And uh, from this, uh, you know, Solomon's fame spreads. So this is how we're you're introduced, you know, to him. The political intrigue is behind us, and we're beginning to see a window into the character of Solomon. And, and where Solomon starts, he starts in a good place. And of course, like so many else in Scripture, is we'll get through the end of the week, he does not end in a good place which is a deep challenge to us, not only to start the race well, but to uh, run it, as the writer of Hebrews says, with endurance and also to finish well. Mm-hmm. What an interesting note, the way it begins, too. You know, we just see the end of chapter 2, it says, the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands, and the first thing we hear is, you know, so Solomon goes and marries uh, Pharaoh's mm-hmm. daughter. You know, and that comes up later on mm-hmm. in the story, but even here we're beginning to see, in, in spite of all of the brilliance of Solomon's wisdom, you know, and and what will unfold as he administers justice. And no, the the writer of Kings uh, is a brilliant writer, of course, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and he's given us just a little sense of foreboding. You know, there's something that's not right with this picture. You know, right you know, from the beginning, you, you have not only is he marrying foreign wives, and of course, in Deuteronomy, is uh, warned not to you know pursue foreign wives, but especially the place that he's pursuing are Egypt. You know, there's so many instructions in Deuteronomy, do not go back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so his first alliance is alliance with the people that have oppressed them and uh, who were, you know, the sworn enemies of Israel in, in, a time, in a time before. So there's just kind of that little hint that things may not go as well as they look like they're going, mm-hmm. you know, from the beginning. Do we know why in, what verse is it, three, um, that it says... Um, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to his instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Like, it just seems like <clears throat> it, it seems like when he is when he's ma- offering sacrifices and burning incense, it's to the Lord, right? In those high places, not to other gods or anything like that. No, it, it's a it's a theological hint of what is had uh, even after 
the temple is built and uh, you're to offer your sacrifices alone in the place in the temple, the people will continue this practice. And of course, mm-hmm. they're continuing in the tradition of, you know, of even their kings. So you have even, uh, you know, you have David and his sons going to Hebron, you know, to offer sacrifices as well. So they're also going to a high place. It's not an issue when there is not a temple, but it's going to be the issue that will be the downfall of Israel. Not only are they offering sacrifices in these high places, the sacrifices are sacrifices that are offered to the gods of the land rather Mm -hmm. than the gods of Israel. So the high place will be kind of a stumbling block you know, for the entire nation of Israel. And again, well, you have this... You have, for Solomon as well. Yes, and again, you, you're going to have this, um, uh, you know, just a sense of foreboding mm-hmm. because you're going to hear this refrain as we go through kings time and time again, but they did not remove the high places. Interesting. Um, the other thought I had as we were reading is just um, verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. And then, of course, he asks for wisdom and and discernment. Um, I just think that that's um, such a neat, I don't know, neat way of of humbly approaching the Lord and asking for wisdom because he's saying, "I'm just, I'm just a little child. Like I don't really know what I'm doing here." Yeah. And what a great example for us. I mean, I, he's not a perfect example. We've we've already covered that, but. Um, just for us to come to the Lord and um, humbly admit that we do not know um, all the right decisions to make. No, this is you know, really a good starting place. Uh, he admits, I am over my head, and these are your people. Yeah. Uh, so as a king, he, he realizes that he is God's representative. He's not, you know, these are not his people. And he realized that only you know, in God's strength, with wisdom from God, will he be able to lead God's people in the way that God wants him to do. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, the Lord you know, tells us, unless we come to him, like little children will not see the kingdom of heaven. And, so, and that's what this is talking about, <laughs> the humility of one who needs to be instructed uh, rather than uh, the arrogance of one who has their act together. And so that's a fantastic starting place for a king and a fantastic you know, starting place for us, you know, as well. And I think as we see Solomon, you know, even here and throughout the rest of the week, we'll, we'll see some inconsistencies in him. And we obviously saw them in, in his father, David, as well. You know, even all, Solomon calls him, you know, he was faithful to you and righteous. But we know that at times he wasn't faithful and he didn't live up to the standard of, of righteousness. So even in those inconsistencies that we saw in David and and we'll see in Solomon, uh, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm, you know, we always like to talk about all these characters where we're encountering in the Old Testament are pointing us to one who was better. And so there is even a better Solomon to come, just as there's a better David and one that is all wise, that isn't inconsistent, um, you know, but one that is faithful and is righteous, um, you know. And so obviously getting to see these characters it's always helpful to know that they're going to be pointing us towards Jesus as we look at him more and more. Yeah, and and one of the things that you'll see, you know, from Solomon, uh, you know, he is the father of, you know, a certain section of you know, scripture called the wisdom literature or the wisdom, you know, tradition, uh, the collector of you know great proverbs, uh, and, and of course Paul will say of Christ, he is our he is our wisdom. It's not just human ingenuity 
or it's not just your know, ability to make you know wise rulings. It is Christ Himself, who is the very wisdom of God and the very power of God, which is another picture of Christ, you know, that we see in this text as well. So we started off with a prayer from uh, Katie Kresge. We ought to probably end with a prayer from Matthew Kresge. Uh, with Kresge bookends. So. <laughs> Matt, why don't you close us in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, even as we reflect on the words of Solomon that the Lord has shown great kindness to David and um, you've shown great kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And, and so, Father, help us to not move past that, um, but to, to be reminded of, um, of how great your love is towards us, of how great um, you have lavished us in, in your gift of grace. And, and so, Father, would that transform us? Would we be people who um, walk in obedience to you and all the things you've called us um, to? Um, Father, we ask for wisdom. Uh, knowing that that we don't um, we don't have all the answers we don't know um, all that there is to know um, but Father you do and and you've you have promised us that when we um, when we come to you asking wisdom um, you delight to give it and so Father make us a wise people uh, for your sake and for your kingdom it's in Christ name we pray Amen. Mm-hmm.